the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That's the birthday boy, Bud Elliott. Hey, happy birthday. And if you hear any pings or noises, it's because all of his gifts have all arrived and they've not all been synced. So, Bud, happy birthday. Uh, how are you feeling on this uh, on this celebratory day so far? Feeling, I guess, kind of old, man. 36. So, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. it and, uh, but you're, are you recovered from, like... You know, we had an oblique issue. You had, you know, like, are we all all recovered and in full health on this day? Very, very full health. Yeah, man. Awesome. Doing good. By the way, uh, I, I think I mentioned a couple uh, couple episodes ago that we were doing that uh, husband-wife golf scramble thing. Yeah. Uh, my wife, who does CrossFit, uh, is sore from golfing and now admits golf is a sport. So uh, big, big wins in the Elliott household uh, on, on my side this week. Different, so, different it's muscles. more of a hobby. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's different muscles, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I yeah. hear you. How did it, uh, how did it go? Uh, not scramble. bad. Uh, we played with uh, another couple. Neither of them have handicaps. Maggie's never really played before. And we were two under through nine. Nice. So. Um, and was, it was alternate shot too. No, no. Thankfully. Okay. I, I, I misread it. All right. uh, last month was alternate shot. This was, this was, was a uh, four person scramble. I mean, that can test normal teammates and friendships with an alternate shot. So, I mean, a relationship. Goodness gracious. Yeah, husband-wife alternate shot is like divorce lawyer on standby. <laughs> In fact, you know, that's what I would do if, like, I was a divorce lawyer. I would host, like, an, an alternate shot tournament for couples and pretend it's like a therapy thing. Hey, not, a bad, not a bad idea. Uh, our our work for today includes breaking down the, the Pac-12 North as we look ahead to spring practice. And, you know, just as, like, a... A general uh, point, two things stood out to me when looking across the conference, and some of this is within the division, but I went ahead and got started on, on my Pac-12 South notes too as I was doing it. But like, number one, it and I would I don't know if this was y'all's experience too, really, really hard to take much from the, just the way that like last season went. Uh, and you know, you, you look at them have been the, the last conference that was out there actually on the field, the back and forth that they underwent. There's so many places where we had coaching and coordinator changes where it felt like, uh, like, like teams literally could not line up because they just, they didn't have it yet. I mean, it just didn't have everything in line with the loss of a spring practice offseason workouts and a true fall camp. I mean, we've got teams that played, you know, as few as four games uh, in this season. So very, very difficult to be able to take a lot from the specific re results of 2020. And then number two, I kind of feel like this is another league, like much of college football. Bill Connolly, you know, talked about returning production. We had a whole episode on it. This is another league where, 
looks like everybody's got returning starters. Now, Arizona doesn't. We'll get to Pac-12 South a little bit later, but, you know, they've, they underwent a coaching change. But as, as we're going through trying to put our notes together, I mean, didn't it feel like, A, we don't have those last year launching points, and B, I don't know if returning starters is always necessarily going to be the thing that's going to give me a great idea of how things are going to be because we even had some teams, like we're going to talk about Washington in a little bit, some of Washington's best players opted out. Didn't even play last year. And so, you know, trying to factor that all in when it comes to replacing stars, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, you know, where are you, as, as we're starting to get into this with the Pac-12 North here today, uh, where are y'all at with the conference as a whole? Uh, it's an excellent basketball conference, that's for sure. Hell uh, yeah. I, I want to go, you want to start some fights with our listeners? Yes. I, I wanted to see how, how you three feel about this because, you know, it's like, going into these episodes we've now gone through the acc the big 10 the big 12 and the sec and it's like you do some research you know because you want to come in prepared and while not you know there are always schools that are kind of empty i feel like the pac-12 when i was doing my research because like you chip i did i did both north and south the last couple days to prep for the week and stuff but there's a lot less available content out there about spring football in the pac-12 than there is in other conferences (laughs) I thought the same thing. Do you think that has to do with COVID still playing a, a role in limited practice schedules, limited access? Limit, I mean, because think about it. Everything's impacted on the West Coast with reporters' ability to go watch practice like or ability to get information. So maybe that has something to do with it, but I felt the same thing. I'm like, it was much easier to find information on SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and Big 12 than it has been on the Pac-12 easily. Yeah, I, I think the main thing here is that these schools haven't haven't really started yet. I mean, I, I didn't have any problem finding, you know, a whole lot of preview content, position battle content, you know, stuff like that. But, I mean, I, which of these schools have actually started, you know, spring practice and, and are already through acclimation period and, and you know, having pads on? Right. right? Like, the, not many. Right. And the Pac-12 is, uh, you know, they will extend a li- – most schools are going to be wrapped up by the end of April – uh, but Pac-12 normally will extend on into that first or second weekend of May. But for the most part, uh, they are they are a little bit later uh, on the on the schedule. And there is a there there are a lot of good 24/7 team sites that have been doing position by position battles. Uh, that's I mean that's where I was able to. That's one of the only places we can get Washington State content. It's 24/7 sports. So like just newspapers are cutting it left and right, you know. I mean like like you, you got to go to 24/7 if you want to get that team specific content. That's that's where all the other diehards are. 100%. All right. Uh the thing that I love about the Pac-12 North is we have a division champ, we have a conference champ, and a Pac-12 North wins leader in terms of conference wins, and they're three different teams. But we will follow according to the standard that uh, was called into question, uh, just standings top to bottom. Washington Huskies, 3-1. and one, They were Pac-12 North champs. Then they were unable to play in the Pac-12 championship game, and they were replaced by the Oregon Ducks, uh, who were 3-2. and two. Stanford, 4-2. and two, They were that Pac-12 North wins leader that I had. So... Big things that we have. We've got uh, one of the highest-rated quarterback prospects in Washington football history who has 
not only committed and signed, but will also be on campus to be able to push Dylan Morris for the starting job at quarterback. Now, we uh, didn't really get to see much of that offense under John Donovan. Last year was year one. Kind of felt like uh, a little bit more on that in a little bit. So Dylan Morris was a freshman starter last year. Sam Heward uh, from the the great Heward line of, uh, of Washington football. And Patrick O'Brien, a Colorado State transfer. That's going to be your quarterback competition. You know, can Morris get pushed by the highly rated freshman? You know, that's going to be a lot of the excitement as Huskies fans try and figure this out. There is some um, precedent for somebody coming in as a freshman, winning the job, and then holding on to it. It's Jake Browning. And, you know, Jake Browning was Pac-12 Offensive Rookie of the Year, his first season when he was able to lead the Huskies all the way into the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, defense already had some key players opted out last year, but I thought they played pretty well. Elijah Molden is going to be your your big name that uh, needs to be replaced, but a lot of key contributors back. And with Jimmy Lake, there is an expectation of a certain standard that uh, can be upheld on the defensive side. Now, I have respect for the under champs. And boy, when it comes to pace, when it comes to play calling, when it comes to scheme, Washington just not not much of a hurry. Not not really too concerned about being explosive. Uh again, respect to the under champs, but when we're talking about the Washington Huskies, you got you're going to have to hang with USC if you want to win the Pac-12, and if you want to hang with USC, you got to be able to score. Uh, my big burning question beyond just the quarterback competition is whether or not this offense is just going to be uh, a complimentary piece or whether it's going to be a piece that's the reason that they are competing for a conference title. So uh, do we see, is that an offense that was stripped down to basically spring game offense because of the time that they had under COVID? I don't know, but these are the the, the things that are uh, really burning for me in, at Washington. What did Nick Saban say the other day? In that in that coaching clinic, that virtual one that he gave to this, those high school coaches in, in, in Louisiana, he said, "Normally about- we think thirteen points is our goal, but we averaged sixteen, and we were number the we we're the best in the ACC. We got to go score." He's basically given up on trying to win with defense. Yep, and he, right, he said, "Like you know, I grew up r- run the football, don't turn it over, control the line of scrimmage, play great defense. That's how you win." He goes, "You ain't winning the damn thing with that formula anymore in college football with the way the rules are. We 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 we, 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 we can like, block linebackers and safeties on pass plays." Saban's going to get all the credit for this. And I've been saying this for two years. I've been saying this on the cover three podcast. Like, why isn't that going viral? Dang it. He was trying to claim that he made his change before Lane even came in. So that was interesting. Uh, but I, I follow a lot of Washington fans on, on Twitter who I feel like are, are really sharp. You know, like there's a pretty, pretty serious like Washington you know, community of fans out there as well as on Dogman, And they're worried, man. They're worried because they think Jimmy Lake is an awesome defensive coach an excellent recruiter, at least you know he was as, as an assistant, and they have a real opportunity here to, to do something. But they're worried that the hire of John Donovan as offensive coordinator is like very much a, a move that a defensive coordinator, you know, as a head coach would make, right? Just somebody who won't screw up my defense. And we know that's not how you get to the next level in college sports. I mean, they have some very concerning stuff here. I, so they were second to last in the nation to passes to outside receivers last year, 93rd in passes to the slots. They basically just threw the ball to the tight ends in the backs all the time. Now they got, they got good backs, got good tight ends, but they also ran the ball on like first and second down more than just about any team in the nation. And that's just, that's not great, man. Like you, you need to open it up and, and throw the ball around if you want to compete 
at the highest level. If you want to win seven, eight games, keep doing what you're doing. And I think they will. I will say I, I get, I understand the concern and I, we, we saw it too, because I mean, it was a pretty conservative offense. And again, it's hard to know exactly how much to take away from anything we saw last year, but I will say this in its defense, it was efficient. Like it, they did score 30 points a game. They, they played only four games. They were fourth in the pac 12 in yards per play. If you look at points per drive, the only Pac-12 team that had more points per drive than Washington did on offense last year was Arizona State. Washington comes in second at 2.88. That's ahead of Oregon. That's ahead of UCLA. It's ahead of all of them. Their problem was in the red zone, they did not finish drives. They had to settle for way too many field goals. So it's like you, if, if they could finish drives, this is suddenly an offense that looked a lot better than we thought. But I, I do agree. I think that it is going to be very difficult to sustain that over a 12-game schedule than it was over a four game schedule because we've seen time and time again that, you know, like Nick Saban says, when he's on that call with the Louisiana coaches, besides send all your players to me, you got to win with offense these days. So I think that we're going to need to see that kind of transition for Washington. If it's going to get back into that spot where it's a contender in the PAC 12 North and it's competing for PAC 12 titles and it's competing again for playoff berth. Because if you just look at the trend in the conference right now, and particularly in the division, there is one team in that division who we'll be talking about soon, who is recruiting at a level that nobody else in it is even coming close to. And if that gap is going to continue being the case and Washington can't step it up in the recruiting trail to catch up with them, they're going to have to find a way offensively to figure it out. And maybe bringing in five-star QBs is a good way to do that. And maybe that will help lead them there. And maybe that was part of it too. Maybe they just didn't feel comfortable with their personnel to run that style of offense. Maybe Heward coming in is somebody they feel is more capable of doing it. Or maybe we've got a defensive coordinator as the head coach who's still in that, well, just don't mess it up and let my defense win us games. I think, too, when you look at it, um, defense bringing back majority of the players who were pretty good last year. Um, when you look at their schedule, I don't see anybody that really intimidates you. Like, even going to Michigan week two, kind of like, all right, maybe Michigan has firepower, but you might be able to win ugly against Michigan. Um, Cal, Oregon State, you could, I could see Washington getting off to a solid start while their offense is kind of adjusting and figuring out some of the pieces because playmaker on the outside is a big one. You mentioned tight end. Who's awesome. The running backs, good uh, wide receivers, just an unknown quarterback, a little bit of an unknown, but can you figure some things out? And then when you get to UCLA, you know, in Oregon in November, can you keep those games competitive possibly but I think that's the one advantage of having a defensive coach is that the defense does look like it should be something you could hang your hat on but I don't think you get as exposed as much in the Pac-12 by dynamic offenses as you would in some other conferences and some other teams you'd have to play against I'd agree I, with that as far as newcomers there are some guys in this team who, who I do like a lot I, I think Sam Heward is a really good quarterback prospect he's what Brock's nephew and uh um Oh, shoot. Uh, Damon. Yeah, Damon. Da right. You know, uh, Damon's son. He's he's very good. Like, I, if Chandler Morris doesn't step it up, it wouldn't shock me to see, you know, to see Heward step in there. Although, with the defensive head coach, they don't really love playing freshmen, as, as we've seen time after time. I think Kate Otten's a really good tight end. 
And as far as receivers, they lost quite a bit. They're very inexperienced at the receiver position, which doesn't give me warm fuzzies about the chance of them opening this thing up. But uh, they got a receiver from Texas Tech, a transfer, who I've, I've seen in person. He got hurt his senior year of high school. I, I think he has real ability. His name's Jalen Polk. And that offense, with how much they run the ball, should create a lot of one-on-one opportunities for him on the outside. He's a guy who's a really good leaper, can go up, get the football. And so I, I'd look for him to maybe be a guy who kind of comes from off the radar uh, to help them out offensively. Defensively, man, I thought what they did was fascinating. It's only four games, but if you want to talk about what's the value of run defense for, versus what's the value of pass defense in the modern college game, Washington had one of the worst run defenses in the entire country, and yet they finished 19th in defensive SP+. Plus. I mean, they're 119th against the run, second against the pass, at, le- at least on my, on my numbers. I mean, guys, that kind of shows it right there. Like the, the the pass is much more valuable in today's college football games. You're, I, I'd much, like it's always been a trope: stop the run, stop the run. Washington's like we ain't stopping shit. As far, sorry, we're not we're not <laughs> stopping the run, and it's not going to matter. We're, we're we're stopping the pass, and it's going to work. Yeah, if if you look at the adjusted yards per attempt of their pass defense, the national average was eight point four. They were at seven point two seven, so they were more than a yard below the national average. If you look at yards after the catch per reception, the national average was five point four two. Washington was at three point eight one. They did a terrific job against, the and that's what Jimmy Lake. I mean, when you think about all the defensive backs that Washington has sent to the NFL in recent years, it's like this really doesn't come as a surprise because this has kind of been what they've been excellent at for a while, and it's been the focal point of what they do, and they still do do it really well. So that is one reason to be optimistic about the defense. I feel like with Jimmy Lake in charge there I don't care what the situation is as far as returning starters and all that kind of stuff I always feel like there's going to be a very solid footing on the defensive side of the ball the offense is going to be the question mark every single year with the Huskies do you think the way they play it will have to change a little bit with with them losing Molden and Taylor probably I I I think that you probably can't be as aggressive, particularly early in the season. I think you're going to have to be a little more conservative with what you're doing in coverage just, just to protect guys and trying to learn and get that kind of stuff going on. But I, I think that the more the longer the season goes on, we'll probably see them kind of adapt and adopt. I, I think that, they're, hell, they're probably spending a lot of time this spring already getting it in because it is very important to what they do. No one in the Pac-12 North had more conference wins than the Stanford Cardinal. And boy... I really remember them being awesome when I think back anecdotally to the best teams in the conference. I, I it, it sort of befuddled me to go back and look at it. Now, as we as we spin things forward, we've got a quarterback competition as, to replace Davis Mills. Uh, Jack West, Tanner McKee appear to be the, the headliners there. But the thing that stands out to me is a defense that has uh, lost its identity just a little bit over the last couple of seasons. Now, I think about... The, the Stanford defense that not only like way long ago, as we continue to get years and years away from that uh, peak under David Shaw, like not just the party in the backfield, but being able to get good pressure uh, from your defensive front and pairing that with really solid play on the back end of the defense. And we had NFL players coming out of the Stanford secondary for a couple years there. And if you look over the last two seasons, uh, I got to credit Paul Meyerberg, USA Today, for pointing this out. Uh, 39 passing touchdowns allowed to just 10 interceptions. Not a good ratio right there. And over the last two seasons combined, 7.3 yards per attempt allowed. So they're not getting pressure. They're not doing a good job of forcing turnovers either on the back end. So can this defense be able to settle in and find an identity? Again, the quarterback competition is going to be something that I think is 
obviously important to the success of this team. But as we look at Stanford moving forward, what are some of the things that y'all are looking for from the farm? I think we could see defensive improvement. I, Cause I think that, you know, we talk about the sample size of last year and the way that the PAC 12 schedule was, you know, this is a team that played six games. They allowed 35 points in their opener to Oregon, which was one of the, you know, it, it technically won the North and then won the conference. And then it allowed 35 games in its second game against Colorado. And you got to remember, these are teams coming into the season with no real prep time, no real practice, but then they kind of slid in, got, you know, they, they went on a nice little win streak to finish the season where they allowed only 23 to Cal, 26 to Washington, 24 to Oregon State, which in this day and age, that's about the best you can hope for defensively. And then finally, in the last game, they got into that 48-47 shootout with UCLA. And I think that those three games, the first two in that shootout at the end, really kind of heavily skew their overall defensive numbers. Because if you look at some other stuff, if one thing that gives me reason to be optimistic about them going forward is in the red zone, they were very good. Mm. They, they only allowed you to score on 65.5 percent of your red zone trips which was below the league average or better than the league or uh, national average i i don't think it was an awful defense i don't think it was a great defense but i just think that there were areas of it that skewed things and i think going into 2021 it'll probably you know balance out a little bit where we won't see the kind of you know crazy outliers there but i think offensively I think that's where the real question is because they do have a quarterback battle. They do lose a ton on the offensive side as far as production. There's there's a lot of unanswered questions there. So just for me, if I'm going in, I think there's a lot of stuff we need to see with the Stanford team because like Barton has been had been on it for the last few years on this show about how they were trending in the wrong direction. And he's right. They have been trending in the wrong direction. The recruiting hasn't been to the level it once was. The physicality hasn't been to the level it once was. So those are all very legitimate concerns. I'm not as concerned about the defense as I am the offense, because I do think that they've kind of lost their identity a bit on that side of the ball. And they're really struggling, whether it was a conscious decision to adapt to something new, or it's just something else that happened. I think that they're struggling to figure out what they are and who they could be. Rushing yards a game. They were last in pack uh, 12 and pass efficiency defense, but that's the one year trend. If you go back and look at the two year trend, as far as the pass defense, They've given up 39 touchdowns against only 10 interceptions and teams are averaging 7.3 yards per attempt against them. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. They were able to win uh, four games last year with that. I think replacing Davis Mills is going to be like, he's going to be a surprise at the draft. And I think he is an incredibly talented player. And I, I think there's a lot of question marks about this team. And when I, I love the job that David Shaw has done but when you talk about trending in the right direction, this year was weird. It was a one-off, you know, they were four and two, which is awesome. But I think you might see a regression back towards the struggling Stanford team this year with some of those question marks at offense. They're even doing, I just saw this in some of the research that I was doing. Did you guys see that they don't allow early enrollees at Stanford? And for the first time, they've got a couple guys that have actually qualified to do it. So, you know, you talk about youth coming in, it's just, it's an uphill battle. So I, I am, my expectations are pretty diminished for uh, Stanford this season. I, I will note, um, I, I've done a lot of, a lot of research on this over the past couple of years. Uh, the guy who was the most vocal about the anti or about the early signing period, right. Was David Shaw. He did not want the early signing period. And the reason is because Stanford does not green light kids for acceptance until pretty late in the cycle. And oftentimes, you know, back in 2015, 2014, whatever, 
you know, we would see Stanford officially give the kid the green light in, you know, October or November. Now, when signing day was February, that was fine. That, that's enough time. When signing day is, you know, the third week in December, that's a little bit different. David Shaw was really vocal about this, and it, it has hurt their recruiting quite a bit. They don't get the same quality of player that they used to. I think that combined with their player development as far as their hit rate was just off the charts for a while and probably a little bit unsustainably so. I mean, I think you can be great at, at player development and then also get a little bit lucky as far as like hitting on every single stud you sign, right? Which for a while it seemed like they did. And I think they've had a little bit of a, you know, a little regression to the mean going on there. But this was still a, a decent team by year's end, as Tom noted. I mean, if you they kind of had that what, what teams were we looking at here? Navy, I know in that first game, there were a couple other teams, just uh, Maryland, like we talked about in the Big Ten preview. They just weren't ready, period. Yeah. Like the first two games, I mean, they, they come out 2% win expectancy against Oregon, 8% against Colorado, which means like they were incredibly lucky to be in a three-point loss there. It should have been you know, really a blowout. Uh, you know, And then after that, they won two games where they probably got lucky to win, but the final two, they, they played relatively well, I guess. My concern here on offense continues to be in the lack of explosive plays. Um, 85th in passing explosiveness, 120th in you know in, in rushing explosiveness. We talk about this a lot, but man, you know, um, got you got to hit big plays in, in today's modern college football if you want to keep pace. Stanford could be just as good of an offense as it was three four years ago, and it wouldn't matter because the rest of college football is getting more explosive. And like we talked about with A and M. Stanford is not keeping pace as far as getting more explosive, creating those big plays. It's just if you stay the same and everybody else gets better, you're actually falling behind the field. I think you guys covered the defense, man. Like they, they lose a lot of important pieces on defense. We'll, we'll see how this goes. And an interesting thing to follow too, because like there was a lack of explosive plays on offense. And I think that's more philosophical because people I've talked to, like as we're heading into the NFL draft process, a lot of teams seem to be pretty high on Davis Mills. And there's a lot of, you know, it's like compared to what I've heard some NFL people tell me their thoughts on Mills and compared to what like Mills was doing at Stanford. It's like, he wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. He, he had, he had a good season, but you know, he's 7.7 yards per attempt. Wasn't really taking the kind of deep balls. I wonder if we might have another kind of Justin Herbert kind of situation on our hands here. Oh, where we, <laughs> uh, fade Justin Herbert's offensive coordinator. Yeah. It's the great principle. You know what Stanford's really missing? Oh, Sega Whiteside. All right. I want to tell you about the all new Stitcher podcast app. It's been rebuilt from the ground up to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go or in the revamped web player. Stitcher is home to all your favorite podcasts from classics like My Favorite Murder, This American Life, and How Did This Get Made, plus all the CBS podcasts. I own college basketball, fantasy baseball today, and of course, your favorite the Cover 3 Podcast. In Stitcher, you have more control like setting your download preferences per show and the ability to listen virtually at any speed. With Stitcher, you can listen to your podcast anytime, anywhere. So give the all-new Stitcher app a try. Download it in the App Store or at stitcherapp.com slash download. You know, Chip, you mentioned my favorite murder. Am I the only one that is like overly concerned by how popular true crime podcasts are? I don't know. Dateline's always been out there, right? 
So, well, yeah, it's it's like my favorite murder. Let me think. <laughs> you know what? I've, I've, there's a lot of murders that I like, Tom, but I don't know which one is my favorite. <laughs> it's like my children. It's it's too hard to too really hard say to choose like between these the murders. Other. I don't know. All right. Uh, we mentioned now we we've hit the division champs. We've hit the wins leader in the north, and now the Pac-12 champions. The Oregon Ducks. Tom referenced them earlier. They are the most talented team in the division. They are arguably the most talented team in the entire conference. Uh, Mario Cristobal has upped the recruiting in a major, major way. And that is one of the big um, talking points here as we go into the spring practice. Because we've got Ty Thompson, one of the highest rated quarterbacks to ever be signed by Oregon. And he's on campus. He's early enrolled. He's going to be a part of the the spring ball battle going up against Anthony Brown, uh, the sixth year senior, formerly of Boston college who didn't really, uh, obviously Tyler Shuck, the, the starter for much of the year, but we saw Joe Moorhead near the end of the season, conference championship game, and then especially in the bowl game, really build out some Brown-specific uh, packages. And so I'm I'm very curious to see what Joe Moorhead, an offensive coordinator that we have high regard for, what he's going to be able to do with a full spring practice, off-season workouts, uh, two quarterbacks who can be very competent. And listen, the reason why it's so exciting is because there's a lot of other places where this team looks like it's ready to, to for real make a run. Um, defensively, they are awesome up front. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is one of the best uh, stars in all of college football. We get to see another step forward from Noah Sewell. Justin Flo, another one of those top-rated prospects to be signed in program history, all coming in recent years. We got a new defensive coordinator, Tim DeRoyter. Again, like I, I look up and down the entire conference and – Offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, defensive coordinator Tim DeRoyter, I like I didn't rank them myself, but I would consider that probably one of my top OCDC combos that you're going to be able to find in the Pac-12. So the with the burning questions being about making the leap and being able to to really go make a run at a college football playoff appearance and and compare yourself to those top teams in the country and a quarterback battle uh, right at the center of it. How are we feeling about the Oregon Ducks uh, heading into 2021? I feel like they are the favorite in the North. I feel like they are by far the most talented team as far as roster construction in the North. And I feel like it's all going to come down to the quarterback spot and the philosophy on offense. Is Joe Moorhead going to be given the keys to the car and allowed to run his offense? Or will, you know, we as we've talked about here, like Mario Cristobal, conservative too often on offense. It's... At times, I think it gets in the way. Like we just talked about with Justin Herbert. They had a kid who's gone on to the NFL and proven to be freaking outstanding right away, who it felt like most of the time while he was in college, they had, you know, they kind of had reins on, keeping him in, not letting him go too far, do too much. Can they take that step that they have to take that allows their quarterback, whoever it ends up being, can they will they put the trust and faith in him to let them, you know, to lead the to big plays, to lead them to wins instead of just don't screw it up? And I think that is going to be the determining factor. Not, I think Oregon can win the Pac-12 no matter what it does, because I just think it's that talented of a team. But as far as competing on a national level, I think that's the one step that they have to take. Because I think Cristobal's done a fantastic job of bringing a different kind of recruiting out west than that we're typically used to seeing, and, and 
bringing that kind of SEC approach to it and putting together outstanding classes. But they still have to take that next step in offense. So that's what I'm going to be watching this spring. I'm going to be watching that QB battle, and I'm going to be trying to get an idea of what they're going to be asking them to do. Yeah, I have some concerns about the Oregon defense a little bit. Um, I, I echo, I guess, first Tom's concerns about the offense, although I will – I, I we, we used we used to bang on Mario Cristobal a lot for for his offensive approach, you know, kind of coaching like a defensive coordinator in a sport that is becoming ever more explosive. Um, God, I feel like we say that a lot in the Pac-12. Like like you think a Pac-12 is wide open, it's not. It's like the, the most regressive conference out there as far as as far as that stuff goes. Jimmy Lake, Justin they Wilcox, Mario Cristobal. Like it's there's a, there's a long list here. Yeah, I mean, they, they did get better as far as not trying to run the ball every first and second down, particularly as the year went on. They started out doing that quite a bit, and then as the year went on, uh, I, I thought they did a better job of, of opening up some. So I, I think there's some evidence of, of you know kind of evolving there as far as their offensive philosophy. Look, Ty Thompson is, is a really good quarterback prospect. It's one of the highest-rated quarterback prospects that, that we've had. Look, we, we, we saw Tyler Shuck transfer out. Now, you might think that's because Anthony Brown's going to win the job, or you might think that's because Ty Thompson's going to win the job. Uh, I, I think he probably read, you know, read the room and said, my odds of this aren't, aren't great. And, you know, he really wasn't great last year. I, I think the odds are good. I don't know who it's going to be. I think Thompson is a pretty good shot. But I, I, the, I think the odds of them having at least decent quarterback play uh, are pretty good. They need to get a much better receiver play. Last year, the receivers were, were really nothing special at all. As a result, they didn't throw to them. I mean, they they were what 113th in percentage of passes to outside receivers. They 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 banged the tight ends in the backs and and the, and the slots a lot, but they nobody really were scared of Oregon, you know, on the outside last year. You get the whole offensive line back. I mean, that's that's pretty solid. Um, defensively is where my real concern is, though, because you you lose Lenore. You lose both your defensive tackles, both of whom are pretty good players, by the way. Like like Jordan Scott was, was a really good college player for you, and then uh, Austin Fillow was not bad at DT. So they got to replace both those guys inside. Um, I I have a little concerns about the defense, but I, I agree with Tom. Like you know, in spring, I, I think these guys need to be the North favorites for sure. Clearly, North favorites. Um, and I think the difference if they're Pac-12 champs or if they're national championship worthy depends on the quarterback position. I'm totally in agree. I think it's going to be Ty Thompson. And if it's not, then I see them as a 10 and two team who, you know, contends for the Pac-12 title, you know, is there, is pretty good, but they're not great. Um, I don't think Anthony Brown is the quarterback after watching what he did at BC and seeing what else he's done. I just, I'm not, I don't, I don't think he's that quarterback. Ty Thompson could be. Um, I like the, the hire of Tim DeRuiter at, as defense coordinator. I covered him back at Fresno State. Saw what he did with Cal. Put them into a top three defense consistency uh, consistently. So I think he's a pretty good hire um, that with pretty good base of returning personnel, eight returning starters. Yeah, they can get better, but I feel pretty good about them. So, I mean, I, I think – Oregon and USC are kind of the teams to watch out for in the Pac-12 and barring any surprise. I mean, I would say Oregon's going to be the team from the North without question because it's hard to find a team that really is going to give you pause and say, well, maybe it's this team. I just, I think it's going to be Oregon. It's just a matter of, again, the question every year around the Pac-12, is it going to be, are you left out again because you're not great? And unfortunately, I think that's the question I'm going to be asking ourselves unless something special happens at quarterback. Yeah, I, I think if you're an Oregon fan, you probably 
don't want Anthony Brown winning the starting job. You could start the season. I mean, the season starts tough. If you don't want to throw Ty Thompson right out of there at the beginning, you could run. You could do that thing where you run a little like two quarterback, you know, shenanigans for a couple games, and then Thompson ends up winning the job, takes over, and runs with it. Yeah, because I got nothing against Anthony Brown. I just think that there's a ceiling as to what you could do offensively with him. Like, it kind of it's not all that different to me than what we kind of saw with Joe Moorhead when he was at Penn State, where. With Trace McSorley, who I loved, but he got the absolute most you could get out of Trace McSorley, but it still became a situation where no matter how talented the rest of Penn State was, when they got up against the Ohio States or any other elite team, they were going to be at a quarterback deficit. And I feel like that's kind of a similar situation that they would be with if Anthony Brown, their starter, was at least as an incoming highly rated freshman. And again, we don't know, but Ty Thompson at least presents the ability or the illusion that there could be more. So if he wins the job over the spring and the summer going into fall, I feel like that's a good sign for Oregon this year. Coming up on the other side, taking a look at the rival in Oregon with Oregon State, plus Cal and Washington State. Nick Rolovich, it's like a year 1.5 for my man. It was, a, it was, it was tough sledding for him. So we'll, uh, we'll look at uh, Pullman. Uh, as well as the rest of the Pac-12 North. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Hey, Cover 3 listeners, opening day for the Major League Baseball season is Thursday, tomorrow. And if you need any last-minute fantasy baseball prep, be sure to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5 with Frank Stanfield, Scott White, and Chris Towers. It's the best way to stay up-to-date on the biggest news items in fantasy baseball in five minutes or less. Download and follow wherever you listen to this podcast. The Oregon State Beavers were 2-5 last season, and we are preparing for year four. Yes, year four of the Jonathan Smith era. Um, Last year was weird. So he gets a contract extension, a little bit of a pay raise after the 2019 season. They went 5-7, 4-5 in conference play. In terms of the standings, that was tied for second. A lot of excitement. Okay, the Beavs, uh, here we go. And then, you know, they follow it up with going two and five. That's that's not as exciting. But within that two and five, literally sandwiched in the middle of it, they went and beat Oregon. Yeah, you you beat Oregon. I don't know, man. Hard hard to, to pick this thing apart. So as we look at, at the team uh, for spring practice, the loss of Jamar Jefferson, top running back, is incredibly notable. And, you know, just trying to to figure out um, you know how you're going to be base this offense, especially with the quarterback position. Is it going to be Tristan Jebbia? Is it going to be Chance Nolan? Uh, trying to decipher who wins that job and what it means for the offense as they uh, continue to reload on that side of the ball. 
Now, uh, not all returning production is encouraging. Example 469, Oregon State's defense that ranked near the bottom of the Pac-12 in rushing and total defense has a bunch of those players back. So, okay, we'll see. Got to be better at stopping the run. I know that we say, you know, we're, we're evolving in terms of like run defense and what it means, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, don't feel great reviewing what we have from the seven-game sample size defensively from Oregon State. Can that group take a step forward? Uh, how are we feeling about Oregon State, a team that handed us a lot of reasons to be concerned, but boy, they got that win. They got that win against Oregon. I feel great. Great. I mean, okay, maybe not great. I, I feel I feel good. Like this is one of those teams that brings back a boatload of experience on both sides of the ball. I think Jonathan Smith is a, a pretty good coach, pretty good, you know, guy putting up points and, and a pretty good developer of players. Um, as far as QB chip, like you mentioned, uh, Tristan Jebbia, he had surgery on his hamstring, so he might not even be back for spring. So if there's going to be a true quarterback competition there, we'll have to see if Nolan, you know, can can make the most use of, of his reps there that he's going to get in spring. Because uh, the last time, according to BeaverBlitz.com, they were saying Jonathan Smith kind of uh, suggested his quarterback may not return to the field in time to partake in spring practices. Yikes! Offensive lines all back. You know, I mean, you lose you lose Jefferson, but okay, I I, I think running backs matter some, but not as much as other positions, I guess. I do think, I think losing losing Rashad is is a, a fairly big deal. Like he's an impact defender on a defense that, you know, lacks athleticism and size as far as a combination. So I want to see how they replace him. But I think this team's moving in the right direction. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with most of it. I think offensively they're going to be fine. I love Jamar Jefferson. I think that he's an excellent sleeper in your fantasy leagues this fall because he's not going to be highly drafted. But I think that if he, if he ends up on the right offense, he's going to be a useful fantasy player. Um, I think offensively they should be okay. Defensively. I think Rashad is a huge loss because you do much like you mentioned, a lot of the production is back, but Rashad was one of the best player on that defense. So he's gone. So the production is mostly back, but that's still a huge thing you have to fix. But I don't think this team was as bad as the results showed like i think defensively the numbers the raw numbers look terrible but when you start looking at more of the advanced metrics it's like they tend to be in just more in that slightly below average kind of category than awful so i think that it wouldn't be surprising to see a step forward from that unit this this season not to be in like an elite defense but to at least being an average to above average unit which could help so i i don't think last year was a true reflection of where this program is, nor do I think the year before was an accurate reflection at that point. So I think going into this 2021 season, we're probably going to see the Beavers settling in somewhere between that, where they're not competing for the Pac-12 North, but they are fighting pretty, you know, they're, they're fighting for a bowl spot and they're very, I think they're kind of 50-50 to get one, which compared to recent seasons at Oregon State saying you're 50-50 to get six wins this year, I think you'd take that two or three years ago for sure. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that assessment. I mean, the numbers get skewed when you give up 375 rushing yards to Arizona State. When you're talking about the raw numbers, those will bounce up your total a little bit. Um, they were better in 2019 when they only gave up 4.3 yards per carry, uh, 21 rushing touchdowns against 12 games. They got to get better. I mean, that's clear. But I think this is one of those things where 
kind of look at it. You try to build some momentum off the win against Oregon. At least it shows that the team is still fighting. Like they're still, you know, they're still giving good effort during a crazy season when a lot of teams packed it in and it could have been the opposite direction. You kind of hold out those two wins and kind of, you know, especially one against your rival and you try to hold out for it as a sign for optimism. But, you know, a lot of returning starters. I like Jonathan Smith. I think this team will be better, but kind of like you're saying, just a fight for a bowl spot, which is a good plot to be in considering how bad they were just a few years ago. Is it fair to totally throw out the Cal 2020 season? I, I mean, just as a, you know, we, we do that thing, right? I always I've mentioned it several times during our spring gleaning series. You, you're pulling up the coach's Wikipedia. It's got all the results and, and you just, I, I cannot use this one in three like this win percentage is truly reflective of how I feel about Justin Wilcox and the job that he's doing at Cal. But the one in three is one in three. Now he had a new offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave, uh, former NFL, long time, long time coach, former NFL quarterback himself, former Oregon standout. Uh, he only had a little bit of time to be able to get in sync with Chase Garbers. Now, Cal's offense, um, you know, ranked last in the Pac-12 in yards per play in 2020. Maybe that is something that we should not throw out quite like the one and three result right there. But Chase Garbers, I believe, is a good quarterback. That combination needs to work to make Cal's offense better because when they're so bad that even the Justin Wilcox defensive expectations are not going to be able to get you to wins. It's like if only they can be middle of the pack in, in all your important categories in the pack 12, then I would think the defense can carry you the rest of the way. But I'm sure there's, there's great evidence to suggest that they were not explosive and they need to become explosive because there's nothing. Justin Wilcox is another one of these pack 12 coaches where I'm like, I don't know. I watched a lot of games. Didn't seem like, didn't seem like they were all too concerned. You're trying to lead with defense that I think that Cal can win and like get to bowl games with defense and, they just need the offense to at least be middle of the pack, which it was not last year. Can Chase Garbers and the offense be able to raise its level to the point that the defense can lead the way? Because I think at Cal, even given the the sparks that we've seen with Justin Wilcox, I don't think you're measuring yourself against the uh, Pac-12 championship contention. I do think you're trying. I think being solid is okay at Cal, but right now the offense is so was so bad last year that they couldn't even be okay. I just throw this whole season out. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is one of the few teams where I just say, I don't care about any of this. I mean, it, I think Justin Wilcox is a good coach. Like, he's done a really good job rebuilding, you know, what that program, where it came from. I think they've been recruiting better, recruiting guys that fit their system, both, you know, academically and on the field. And I know a lot of coaches that really respect Justin Wilcox, um, who, who coached against him. Uh, last year, I mean, when's the last time Justin Wilcox had a defense that was 78th in the country? Exactly. I mean, like, like I mean, that UCLA game, thirty-four to ten loss, uh, played at nine a.m. on a Sunday after it was scheduled hastily. Some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense. And like, when I see stuff doesn't make any sense, I try to look for stuff that does make sense. And this track record overall is is pretty good. Where where were they in our, our returning production rankings? I, I know who they have coming back. I'm just kind of wondering. Like they the are interesting... 20th overall, 52nd on offense, 11th on defense. Gotcha. Um, you know, to me, that's that's interesting because like the rest of that league has, I think, more returning experience than that. So like they don't return quite as much as some of these other teams do, you know? 
Um, remember, we, we talked to Bill Connolly. He's talking about how loaded up, you know, these other teams in the Pac-12 are. I, I agree with Chip. I, I have more confidence in the defense bouncing back than I do the offense, even though they, they do lose, you know, some some key pieces on defense. But I, I think this team will be a strong bounce back team. Like, I'll throw this out there. Who do you have more confidence in, Stanford or Cal? Cal. Cal. I think I do too. Maybe not by a ton, but yeah. Yeah. So, I, Cal's offense. It's pretty bad because we're talking about 2020. Um, last in the Pac-12 yards per play in 2020. Also in 2019. Also in 2018. Also in 2017. Last in yards per play. Um, but like again, Bill Musgrave, one off season with COVID in one of the states with the most restrictions, with the most upheaval, with the least amount of his time. And then you go back to Chase Garbers and you look what he did, you know, his freshman season, he played all right. Like he showed some flashes, you know, like he and he improved on that his sophomore year, got a little bit better. Um, so I kind of look at this and say you've got a quarterback who showed promise with a lot of playing time, with a lot of experience team that's been given you know was dealt a really rough hand as far as the limited amount of time they had to play and when they had to play so i think this could be one of those teams you look at and closer to seven or eight wins than three or four for sure yeah i i don't care about last year with this team at all i i just i going into this year the one thing i think we need to consider too like do you know what team finished third in the pac-12 in recruiting in the 2021 class is it cal yeah like wow. now, granted, let's be clear here. Like it was Oregon, USC, and then Cal. You can't <laughs> even see it on the screen. Was in third, and it's very thin margin between fourth, fifth, and sixth. But still, they're bringing in talent. They recruited well. Defensively, I think was a complete fluke last year with that team. I think they will be fine. All Justin Wilcox defenses are good. I think a huge part of it will be Chase Garbers and the receivers and Chip. Our friend, our colleague at CBSSports.com, David Cobb, was huge on the Cal bandwagon last year before the world went to crap, and he was telling us that Cal was going to win 10 games. He was way off then, but still, he wasn't as off as he looked as the results. I still think this is a good team. I think that when we look at the North, it's Oregon and then probably Washington in second. But I would say, like, Bud, when you asked, I think Cal has a better chance of pushing Washington for second place than Stanford does. I think they have a better chance in Oregon State. I think they have a better chance in Washington State. I think this is a team that could be a surprise in the 2021 season. By the way, I, I kind of want to amend what I was saying about how much they lose. Like, some of the names they lose, like, didn't really do a whole lot last year. You know, like, I, I think Bynum's a loss for sure, corner, but, I mean, Xander Johnson did not have a very good pass rush rate last year. I mean, granted, it was only a couple games, but like he, he wasn't really impacting. He, he had two pressures on 109 rushes. Like that, that's not something it's that, not that, that you can't. I, I know he ate up blocks and whatnot. Yeah. Like I, I'm not trying to diminish that. And but. also four game sample size. Four. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, another four game sample size and another one and three record for our final team here the Washington State Cougars, Nick Rolovich. Year one, ooh, buddy. Like, it's uh, it's another situation where uh, I feel feel tough for all those coaches that had to go through that. But um, in Pullman, they really struggled. Uh, we had Jaden DeLara was our starting quarterback. He started as a freshman. Played like a freshman, you know, sometimes. I guess there were, there were some moments that you could hold on to that would make him uh, potentially be the, the starter, but he's going to have some competition. Uh, 
Tom's favorite quarterback in college football history, Jarrett Garantano, showing up to to push Jaden Delara, who I don't know exactly what the um, suspension status is or isn't after Jane Delara uh, got hit with a DUI a couple months ago or several weeks ago, uh, but uh, diff- difficult to find uh, exactly out what was going to be going on with his status. But Jarrett Garantano arrives in Tennessee. You've got a former four-star player in Cameron Cooper also. Uh, so what happens at that quarterback position within the flow of that offense for Rolovich? That's going to be something to keep an eye on. You got to expect better things from the defense. Like I'm I'm not expecting Washington State to be dominant defensively, but I am also looking at these teams that had uh, either new coordinator, new coach changes, and this delayed start in the Pac-12, the will we play, won't we play, the fact that you were out of sorts, and you know, even within this Washington State team, you know, the you had within that locker room some issues going into the season. So I'm I am very much uh, going back and calling this year one again for Nick Rolovich. What's exciting or interesting to y'all looking at the Cougars for spring 2021? I have no idea if Jaden Delora is good or not. Like there were times last year and I was watching and I was like, okay, I see, I see potential. I see something. And then there were times where it's like, what, there's nobody better on this roster. Like you gotta be kidding me. You can't find somebody else to throw out there. So I think that is going to be the most interesting thing to me this spring. Cause I do think that having an actual off season, for Nick Rolovich to come in. And I, it's like, you could say that the air raid and the kind of run and shoot that Rolovich ran at Hawaii and he's bringing there are cousins, but they're not the exact same. There are changes that need to be made. So having like that kind of off season to implement that, I think will improve things offensively and help for all quarterbacks. And then you bring in the Garantano aspect of him transferring. And so there is a competition. So I'm also interested in seeing how Garantano does in this offense compared to what he was allowed to do in the Tennessee offense, because maybe we get an idea of if we were just being mean to Jarrett Garantano, or he was just doing the best he could in the situation that he was given. So that is something I'm really looking forward to this spring, because I do think that this is a team that has, it wasn't in a bad place when Mike Leach left. There was enough there where I think that you could still be a bowl team and you could still be an exciting offensive team and I think that last year in a similar situation with what we're going to be talking about throughout this entire conference it's hard to read too deep into anything we saw given the circumstances that everybody was playing with so I do expect the Wazoo will be better this year it's just defensively they've never been all that sound except for like one year with Alex Grinch and then he left to go to Oklahoma and things kind of went backward a little bit so can the defense be good enough for this team to win if the offense struggles, or are we going to be a situation kind of like when Rolovich was at Hawaii where it's going to be like, all right, we're going to have to win games 49 to 42, which should be fine with me. I'll be happy staying up to 2 a.m. watching them. (laughs) But you got to be elite uh, on offense in order to do that. And that's what they weren't last year. But I do think, again, to reiterate what you guys have said, Rolovich is my guy, by the way. So I'll be rooting for him. It's going to take like, it's a horrible off season. And I don't know exactly what you're working with here either. I will say that just culturally going from Mike Leach to Nick Rolovich is a, I mean, it's a shift. I mean, and Mike Leach started to hint at that his last year, they were talking about some of the players and maybe got out at the right time. And you saw some player, you know, issues there, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but I think it'll take a little bit of time for them all to get acclimated to each other and to get everybody's systems in place. But the defense has been atrocious. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, so I think Dolores on the spring roster, but I, I haven't seen any kind of announcement as to whether he's actually eligible to play this spring following the DUI arrest. I was sort of a Jared Garantano truther a little bit in, in that I thought he was merely okay, not terrible. Like a lot of people thought he was just really, really bad. Um, I thought Tennessee put him in some horrendous spots. Like just, let's run it first and second down. Oh, crap, we're not that good on the offense. So now it's third and eight. Hey, bail us out again, right? Like every freaking time. Um, huh, kind of a theme there with these defensive head coaches in college football. Uh I think they're going to be fine on offense for the most part. Defensively, one thing I was wrong about last year was I really thought offenses would struggle more than defenses would without having practice. Because I do think that defense is a little more of like a collective individual effort, whereas offense is a little bit more of a team game, right? It's a little more rhythm-based. Defense is a little more react. But I had some coaches who coach defense tell me that, like, they're like, I get what you're saying. But for us, what we found was – it was hard to get those those actual physical reps for our guys with all the COVID stuff. And like the reaction is something you have to rep quite a bit too. And so I think, you know, if you're trying to install a new defense, you're not really able to rep it like that and rep it over Zoom. I think what we saw is like defenses might have been actually more impacted by this than offenses were. A step slow, but and it's yeah. not like actual speed. It is like mental processing type stuff. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have the mailbag. Uh, then we will revisit the Pac-12 South. That'll be our first episode for next week. Then, hey, I hear y'all. Group of five, don't worry. We're, we're going to have some spring gleaning. Notre Dame, the independents, uh, group of five schools that stand out to us. We will tackle that as well. That's all coming up. But again, a little mailbag halftime for all the Pac-12 fans out there. Then the mailbag will hit on anything that is in the big old bag of mail. Reminder, the way you can get in on the mailbag is to leave a five-star review, uh, put your question in there, and we will throw it in the big old bag of mail to tackle any future mailbag episode. Follow him on Twitter at Danny Canelli. Follow him at Tom Canelli. Follow him at Bud Elliott 3. Follow me at Chip underscore Madison. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.